Wednesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Hump Day edition of the program as we get set for the Toronto Raptors tomorrow night against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That'll be a big game down at Scotiabank Arena with the Raptors entering action today. A game back of the Cavaliers and getting set for that big tilt tomorrow as Toronto uh, is off their loss to the Chicago Bulls on Monday and uh, the Cavaliers not playing tonight either. So both teams rested going into tomorrow's game. Certainly some scoreboard watching tonight, Jonesy, as the Raptors will keep their eye on Brooklyn in Memphis as the Nets continue to put a little pressure on the Raptors just behind Toronto in the standings. A couple of games in that 7-8 battle. And Charlotte has been playing well um, as they host the New York Knicks Atlanta playing in Detroit against the Pistons. So those are the teams that the Raptors have to be concerned about. Toronto four up on the Hawks, three up on the Hornets, who have won five in a row, by the way, and two up on the Brooklyn Nets again, a game back of the Cavaliers, and now two games back of the Bulls, who throttled Toronto on Monday, and then, well, they got throttled last night by the Milwaukee Bucks. So uh, a lot of scoreboard watching. That will kind of be the norm, I think, for... Uh, a lot of Raptor fans, NBA fans in general, over these next three weeks. Do we have Jonesy? I thought we had Jonesy, but we don't have Jonesy. Maybe, maybe Jonesy got so excited about the five-game winning streak for the Charlotte Hornets that he just had his his connection just completely poof out on him. I believe he's back now, and I'm going to stay with Charlotte then for a second because one of the things I didn't mention yesterday, and it's a a bit of a feel-good story, I think at least, is Isaiah Thomas making his way back into the league and fighting his way through a few 10-day contracts and sort of bouncing around in the early stages of this season and now signing for the remainder of the season. And they have played very well since Isaiah got to town, uh, whether it's his scoring off the bench, whether it's his leadership in, on the floor and in the locker room and whatnot, I believe I believe their last 10-game streak has coincided with his presence on the Hornets. 7-3 and three through those 10 games, and again, a five-game winning streak. Well, look, they, they, uh, they, he's an offensive dude, right? <laughs> like, he's... He's, uh, he's all about scoring, and that's what the Charlotte Hornets are this year. They're all about scoring. Uh, I mean, you look at the scores in some of their games, and I, I was trying to figure it out the other day, and I, I got talking with the, one of my old heads, and there is a lot of Pistol Pete Maravich in LaMelo Ball's game. And I, I think what you and I might have talked about that before. He is, he is dynamic, he's exciting, and Sometimes his, uh, maybe for lack of a better word, his antics, his showmanship isn't all uh, for looks. It's not all for aesthetics. I mean, it's, it, it's effective. There's, there's uh, efficiency and, and purpose behind it. So uh, wh- when it comes to Isaiah Thomas, he would fit right in there. He would fit right in there. I would be cautious if I'm a Charlotte fan because their defense seems to be very hit and miss. And I think that's the thing that will kill them come playoff time. In a one game, you might be able to stun somebody, uh, you know, the same way you do in, in March Madness in a one and done. You can, you can catch somebody on a night. But over a seven-game series, people start to figure that stuff out, and they start to take stuff away. And if you can't stop at the other end, you're going to be in trouble. 
I don't disagree with you. Um, that's the one thing that scares me, though, about the, the, the play-in is, as you yes. just said, one game, you get hot, and all of a sudden, all the work you do, and that's why I continue to beat this drum, uh, and it's not just from a Raptors perspective. I keep looking at the Western Conference standings, and maybe, I, maybe I'm guilty, Jonesy, of just looking at this year and other years it will even itself out in the wash, but as Denver and Minnesota continue to flip-flop with one another, the Denver Nuggets now back into the sixth seed, the Minnesota Timberwolves drop back down to seven, and they are 11 games above 500. And you've got the Pelicans 12 below, the Lakers 10 below, and those two teams might end up being in the postseason where a team that has had an incredible year, 10, 11, 12, 13 games above 500 could be on the outside looking in. I don't like it. That's the one flaw in this whole play-in wild card scenario. That's why I wish there was only one up for grabs and not two because I think more often than not, Man, listen, I, I'm, I'm saying flat out right now, folks, I'm not going back 50 years and doing the research or 30 years or even 10 years. But I would hazard to guess that in both the East and the West, Jonesy, in any given year, you might have one of the seventh or eighth seeds, seven, eight, 10, 15 games above 500, but it wouldn't be both. So I've got no problem with a team that's scuffling, you know, a couple above 500 or even five below having to fight their way in. But there needs to be a number set. There needs to be like a, a benchmark where if you are X amount of games ahead of the next team, you're in. And maybe that's, again, the floating, the, the sort of uh, the, the floating wild card or the floating play-in. And, and, and is that maybe something that we look at three, four, ten years from now as they tweak this thing, if they tweak this thing going forward in terms of finding a way to make it, and I always hate using this word, a little more fair to teams that have great seasons that don't then get still stuck in this playoff play-in format? Well, here's the other thing I would say to make it a little fairer to the teams in seven and eight. You got two chances to claim that spot. Um, if you're nine or ten, you have to win two games. Uh, you know, you've got to win two in a row. Whereas, if you're seven or eight, you two chances to win one game to get yourself in. So, they do have an advantage. Other people were saying, you know what, seven, ten, eight, nine, and there are your winners. And I, but I don't like that because, again, seven, ten. Like if you're you know, if you're seven and, and ten is somebody like Charlotte and they can catch fire in one game and they're at 500 or a game below and you're like six, seven games above 500, like the regular season should mean something. So um, I'm with you. I'd, I'd be more likely to play for one spot or you could play for two depending how many games there are between the teams that are on the outside and the teams that are just, you know, kind of kind of there holding the spots. Like you said, if it's within five games or three games, let's play for it. If you're if you're six games behind and you're like a game below five hundred and they're five or six above five hundred, especially if they're in the same division as you and they've been playing the same teams as much as you have, nah, you you had your chance and you you don't you, you're done. You're done. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. I think it's something that 
uh, hopefully is tweaked by the competition committee and whatnot moving forward. But uh, it is what it is right now. And again, the Raptors off tonight. Uh, another day's rest as they get set to host the Cleveland Cavaliers down at Scotiabank Arena. The first of four straight on their home floor. Ten games remaining for the Raptors. Eight of ten at home. Uh, not a lot to talk about today from a Raptors perspective, but we will dive into more about the Raptors and the association overall uh, later on in the show when Alvin Williams joins us for Alvin Williams Wednesdays. And in a few minutes time, uh, we're going to have a conversation with the president and CEO of Canada Basketball to discuss a new partnership with Sportsnet uh, that is resulting in a new tournament, a new basketball event uh, coming to Toronto, coming to Canada, but to Toronto specifically this July. So we'll dive into that with Michael Bartlett. But a couple other things around the association before we get to Michael. And, and Jonesy, I'm doing this for our guy, Mark Boffo, our producer. Not that it's not an important conversation uh, and an important topic, but I even said to Boffo in our little group chat, I'm not even really sure how to attack this because we don't truly know the details. The details that we think we have are sort of being reported uh, secondhand, albeit from a very reliable and reputable source in Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports. But, folks, if you didn't see the incident a couple of nights ago involving Yusuf Nurkic, uh, he got into it with a fan in Indianapolis. And Portland losing to the to the Indiana Pacers 129-98. As the game's ending, Nurkic walks from the Blazers bench sort of on an angle across the court to Gucci Row, the courtside seats that would have been pretty much across from the Pacers bench. So again, he had to walk across the court on a diagonal as he's leaving the floor. And as he approaches this fan, who at least appears to be on the brief video we see, fairly intoxicated and laughing and yucking it up that Nurkic is even giving him the time of day. As Nurkic walks up to the fan, he immediately takes the phone out of the fan's hand as this video that we're watching is being recorded by somebody else, but the fan is also trying to record Nurkic, obviously looking for some sort of reaction. Nurkic takes the phone out of the fan's hands and just sort of tosses it to the side, like chucks it to the ground. Now, Nurkic has been fined $40,000 by the NBA. Chris Haynes reporting that apparently this fan allegedly uh, called Nurkic's mom trash and also said that his grandmother was, I don't even know if I can say the word on the air. It's, 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 it's bleeped out on the prints. He called him the B.I. or called her the B.I. You can spell out the rest. Five-letter word ends with itch. And to make matters worse, and obviously what incited, understandably, Nurkic, bad enough that you call my mom trash, Nurkic's grandmother, who this fan was allegedly... Um, heckling and belittling to Nurkic. His grandmother passed away in 2020 from COVID-19. This raises a bigger question, and this is what Boff was talking about in our group chat, about just fan interaction and this type of BS in general. And I've had this conversation or, or, or had this shared this thought many times over the years. I've always hated heckling and trash talking. Like trash talking among players on the floor is one thing. The dude or the, the man or the woman in the stands that thinks it's funny to like be ripping on an opposing player. Like to me there is there is not even a fine line. There's a massive line between what is good or bad or acceptable or right or wrong when it comes to trash talking and I think 99% of it, 99% of the heckling is so lame, so tired, so boring. I don't even want to hear it. 
Like, you want to razz a player for missing a shot. You want to boo an opposing player, fine. But when it's a guy looking or, or any person trying to look for, like, a, a one-liner or some cheese ball, you know, saying or, 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 or some kind of jab that he or she thinks is going to really incite the other team, let alone personal shots about family members, parents, spouses, children, dead family members, like – Enough is enough. And I understand the league has to do something when Nurkic grabs the phone and tosses it. But there's got to be some sort of wiggle room for these guys to be able to say, no, you know what? I'm not taking this BS. I I agree. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. And it's funny because I remember my first incident with that at a different level. And the coach said, listen, I was like really upset, flying off the handle. And he said, Guy paid his money. As long as it's not personal, he can say what he wants. He can say, Jones, you suck. Uh, you know, your jump shot's building a house of bricks. Uh, you know, like, as long as it's not personal and it's around the game, then let it go. Let it go. Best way to shut that guy up is to win the game or play well and you know, wink at him or say, how's that? There's, there's one that I want our younger listeners to look up. Larry Miller, owner of the, the, the late Larry Miller, then owner of the Utah Jazz, when the Chicago Bulls were in their heyday and they were playing the Jazz, and Michael Jordan went in and dunked the ball on John Stockton. And the owner, Larry Miller, stood up and said, oh, Jordan, you think you're so good. Why don't you dunk on somebody your own size? Oh, you dunk on a little six-foot guard, John Stockton. Big deal. About two plays later, Michael Jordan went up, and and like it was like he jumped from Salt Lake City to Park City. He, <laughs> he dunked over seven-foot-four Mark Eaton. And running back, looking at the owner, you could see the classic Jordan pose with the palms skyward-like. Is that guy big enough? Do you have anybody bigger? And so to me, as a, if you're on the court, the best way to handle the heckling, let it motivate you, play well, and shut that person up. Right. However, no person should be crossing the line and saying something that is vaguely close to personal. As you said, about family members, children, uh, things in your personal life, um, that's when, to me, again, if you don't have the right temperament, it, stuff's going to cross the line, right? I mean, there was a guy in Detroit years ago named Leon the Barber who used to sit behind the Pistons bench and heckle the Pistons. And the Pistons said, yeah, well, we'll buy your season ticket. Go and sit by the other bench and heckle them. And the guy is legendary. And there are legendary stories where he starts saying stuff about, you know, oh, um, you know, a guy's wife, and some of the players would turn and say, oh, like your wife last night or whatever, and, and, and it stops. Right, right. Like it depends on the player and how you meet it, but a, a fan should not have the right to cross that line. He, he shouldn't or she shouldn't. Well, and especially now today with everything being recorded as well, I don't know that we're always getting both sides, right? You're, you're, you're just getting fans that are looking for these viral moments looking to get an athlete, he or she, it caught in a precarious position. And I understand what you're saying, Jonesy, about the advice your coach gave. 
if it's somebody that paid their money, they can say what they will as long as it's not personal. But the problem is it is often personal. And, and I don't know. Listen, if you're saying something about my wife or my mother, uh, especially if somebody has passed away, <laughs> I don't think I'm biting my tongue. And, I mean, I'm not going to get fined $40,000, but it's just, I don't know. It's more of a statement on society and the type of world well, you we're might. living in if now. If you don't bite your tongue, you might. Well, no, I just don't think. I just don't think that. I, I think the fines are, uh, <laughs> the, Jonesy. The fines I, I would hope are based on your income as well. So if I'm fined forty thousand dollars, well, heck, you might, you might as well just take my house away. Because <laughs> what's the percentage of forty thousand dollars versus what I actually earn compared to Yusuf Nurkic? I think the equivalent would be I'd be fined four dollars or maybe forty dollars. And you know what? I'll take the forty dollar fine then, if it means defending my wife or my mother from some some a-hole that's in the stands saying the wrong stuff. Um, I don't even know if there's a transition, so I'm not even going to look for a segue or a transition right now. I'm just going to say, let's turn the page. We can go back to this a little bit later on as we shift our attention from antics in the stands in the NBA to a very cool event uh, that's coming to Canada, to Toronto specifically, this summer. And there was some rumblings that something like this might go down. Uh, Canada basketball has been uh, you know, very creative with a lot of stuff they've been doing for uh, a couple of years now and the partnership with Sportsnet now. There was some chatter about something like this happening, and, well, it is happening. It was announced officially yesterday, Canada Basketball and Sportsnet together launching an international showcase global jam July 5th to the 10th. It's an under-23 world-class tournament on both the men's and women's side. Uh, teams from Canada, the United States, France, Brazil, Belgium, and Italy will all be represented in those five, six days in the uh, first couple of weeks of July. And to talk more about the event overall and uh, just things that are happening within Canada basketball with both, again, the men and the women, the president and CEO of Canada basketball, Michael Bartlett. Michael, thanks for the time today. Gentlemen, great to, great to be with you again. Uh, always good, sure always good chatting with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Jonesy, you take take it away. He's he's even your, he's your fearless leader even more so than mine. So go ahead, Jonesy. No, uh, and and Michael, I you know I I had to sit there while I know that all of this was being planned and all of this was in the offing and in the works. But um, it's it's a terrific event. It, like I'm just I'm looking forward to me being the basketball idiot. Looking forward to the games. Never mind all the other stuff. But the games will be spectacular. Tell our listeners a little bit about some of your vision and, and Canada basketball's vision around the events to make it a, a, a kind of a, I don't know, like a, a de facto all-star weekend type thing uh, in Toronto for those four or five days. Yeah, Jonesy, Smitty, you guys are, are right. Like, this country needs more basketball. We recognize that. I think it's Canada basketball's obligation to bring that um, whether it be Toronto, whether it be East Coast, West Coast, North Coast, uh, we're in the basketball event business now. So it's a way for us to create more opportunity for our players to play on home soil. So many of them, like, listen, they're leaving Canada in high school now to go down and, and hoop it up with academy teams down south. And it's great for the development. Like, don't get me wrong. But 
they get very few opportunities, boys and girls, men and women, to play in front of their family uh, and friends. So Global Jam will create that. Global Jam will also create, like, I've been to Summer League enough times, been to enough All-Stars. Like, that's what we're envisioning here. If you're a hoop head in this country, you're going to want to be in Toronto the first week of July because whether it be these next-gen superstars that are going to be hitting the court, playing you know other global future stars uh, from other countries or whether you're taking part in the you know the festival we're creating at young and dundas square around our national 3x3 championship we're going to have a community takeover day the teams like one of the mandates that we had for a team to participate is that their athletes must dedicate an hour to go do community programming in the city of toronto with some of our community partners as well so we are building a holistic basketball experience global jam is something that I think Canada has been longing for. We just haven't really known, like, the, we haven't had the right mix and the right partnership to pull it off. Well, Sportsnet allows for that. Canada basketball's ambitions now allow for that. And uh, we've got a lot of opportunity. I'll, I'll put a shameless plug in here. We've got a lot of opportunity for corporate partners to get on board with us, too, to help fund it, help be a part of it, and help deliver amazing experiences for fans. Michael, maybe to that point on, on, on partners and sponsors and whatnot, I, I could tie that into where I was going to go with this in terms of the other countries too. An event like this, I assume, doesn't go off without the commitments from other basketball federations from other countries. So like, how, how in were they? How excited were they when, when Canada basketball approaches them about an opportunity for their teams as well to play meaningful, significant games in this new tournament that's coming yeah. and, and to, to have that opportunity to, to get their teams on the court? Yeah, Eric, great question. There is a lot of love for the under-23 age group around the international basketball community. We're not the only country that has a pipeline of talent that, quite frankly, at, at 19 ages out from FIBA competition and doesn't get another shot until he or she makes the senior team. Well, for some athletes, that's five, six, seven years until they get another shot to put the jersey on. So this under-23 age group is a sweet spot for a lot of federations. We, uh, we had a problem uh, on our hands, not in terms of receptivity to the idea. We kind of blanketed out a bunch of ask the federations because, you know, this was new and we weren't sure how it was going to be responded. And we, <laughs> to a degree, we had too many that said yes at first. Um, so we then had the selfish opportunity to look at, okay, what style of play and systems do they, these federations run, which is going to be the best development opportunity in competition for our athletes. Because, hey, if we're the host and this is our event, we got to be selfish with it too. So how do we train our athletes the best uh, against the best competition? And then, of course, Toronto also has this lens of ultimate beautiful diversity, a mosaic of Canada and the world that lives in this city. So you got a chance to bring Italy, you got a chance to bring Brazil, you got a chance to bring France, you take that chance. So, you know, it's a wonderful marriage of not just about the competitive landscape and, and the status of those federations from a global talent perspective, but also something that we can deliver in Toronto that the Toronto broader marketplace is going to be interested in. Michael, how important was it... Uh to have the United States involved. I mean, you know, you know we talk about at the ultimate level, um, Canada and the U.S. have more names on NBA rosters than any other country in the world. So when you get Uncle Sam involved, and, it, you know, things like, um, and, and Eric and I are, are basketball idiots, so we, we heard about, uh, you know, Scotty Barnes when he was, playing in the in the you know the under 19 
stuff. We, we've we've heard about some of these guys. I mean, you follow, you know, things like the Nike Hoop Summit. You know who these kids are coming down the pipe. But how important was it to get uh, the Americans involved and, and to have them say, hey, listen, we're right behind you. You want to see what's going on in Canada? Come on up. Yeah, I think, um, Jones, it's a great it's a great point. The From day one, this tournament was built with Canada-U.S. in mind. Uh, there's, again, a selfish competitive development reason for our athletes competing against their best athletes as they age up. Uh, I, I said yesterday on, on Tim and Friends, like, don't be surprised if a lot of these Global Jam 2022 Canadian athletes are a big part of our 2028 LA Olympic team. And we got to get them balling against the U.S. team now so that they're learning some habits, they're learning some connectivity as a team, but then also learning what they're up against, you know, potentially that far down the line. There's also another thing, too. Uh, selfishly, we'd like to beat them on home soil and prove that it's not just a one federation game in basketball in north america anymore canada is for real our age group talent like like everybody's talked about this week we got 50 canadians in the bracket on men's and women's side in the ncaa march madness this year that's an all-time record that number will only go up and this is a time for us to shine and and the usa isn't sleeping on us by any means but we we don't know that our fan base in this country really sees the truth of how close we are nipping at their heels as a strong federation so this is a chance to prove it speaking with michael bartlett president and ceo of canada basketball michael selfishly speaking i love having it in our own backyard uh in our community in toronto um projecting ahead uh, assuming this is a, a successful week, weekend, well, it's a, more than a weekend, a week-long festival, and I can't imagine why it wouldn't be uh, for all the reasons you're laying out. Is this something that you plan to or hope to bring across the country in future years, or is this something where it might be like Toronto-based for, for, you know, for years to come? Like, How do you envision this? Well, certainly moving it across the, can- uh, the country is a priority for us, uh, and looking at the geographic diversity of the the athletes that are coming up through our pipeline montreal is a hotbed you know i'm encouraging any any montreal listener right now who's picking this up pick up the phone and and start having the conversation with us down the line like we'd love to be in in the montreal marketplace at some point in the future vancouver victoria halifax an amazing basketball culture uh so east coast west coast um you know center of canada our objective is to move it around eventually uh i think we've probably got a two-year run at least in Toronto. Let's just get this right. Let's build this right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Sportsnet, from a production standpoint, uh, they've got a lot more tools available for us to do some cool, fun stuff for the first few years, get it going, and then build that momentum. But then undoubtedly, yeah, we're going we're gonna to hit the coast for sure. Uh, Michael, athletes, um, how do we – we've got such a – a depth of talent. We've got such a, a pool of athletes to choose from. Um, how, how do we how do we make sure we're showcasing all our Canadian athletes in a tournament like this? Because there are so many. I mean, there are, you know there are so many kids that that could be on uh, any one of these teams. And and yeah. how how do you see it being showcased in terms of? The top kids, but, you know, we know, I mean, we're all parents, Eric, you, myself. We know kids don't all develop it and, and, and get to the same benchmarks at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> as I talk about expanding the teams, uh, the number of teams, like 
it's not crazy to think we could have a Canada one, Canada two in a competition like this down the line too. Mm-hmm. We've we don't have enough teams for our best players to be on. Um we just don't. Yeah. And and that that's some of it to do with the FIBA scheduling, some of it to do with opportunity that we just haven't created for our athletes yet. So we're hyper aware of it. Uh we will have, whether it be you know, future Olympic rosters, whether it be future global jam teams, whether it be our age group, you know, seventeen up to nineteen, great athletes are going to be cut from those teams. So we have to do our job to create some program loyalty and connectivity, even if that athlete male or female isn't getting a chance every time that they want to put on the jersey uh our obligation and that we're spending a lot of time with, with Rowan Barron and Denise Dignard on, on our high performance team our obligation is to make sure that we're nurturing those relationships and those career paths for those uh, and athlete development paths uh, for those athletes so that they still um feel a part of our program even if they don't make the team every time Michael, I believe you've got to fly, as do we, but I'm going to ask you one more quick one here, and it's kind of very open-ended. If I'm not mistaken, you are just past, maybe about a month past, your your one-year anniversary officially taking over um, uh, the, the, the reins and, and the, the ranks at Canada Basketball, and very tough to do so, I'm sure, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, again, open-ended question to you is, how happy are you with where you, where the program has gone, even within this year, and events like this where it it, it kind of opens your eyes to what you still can do and what is now coming ahead of you and ahead of the program on both the men's and women's sides uh yes one year actually one year anniversary was yesterday believe it or not one oh, year okay. to the date uh we announced global jam not on purpose on that date uh eric i'm thrilled i'm thrilled with the progress uh there's I've been spending a lot of time talking about building a one-team Canada culture, uh, and we got to grow that from the inside out. I have an analogy. Uh, you have to throw the best house party so that your family wants to stay and be a part of it, and then your neighbors want to knock on the door and get in. And we had to grow this from the inside out from a culture perspective to the point now where we've got people, athletes, sponsors, um, you know, content producers, you name it, storytellers, knocking on the door saying, hey, how do we get to be a part of this? So we had to take care of our house first. I think we're doing that. The momentum is growing. Uh, but there's a ton more work to do. And we're going to be judged on whether we win. Uh, but I believe we're building a program that will have the culture that, um, that creates that winning environment. Uh, Michael, we're, we're hoping to be a part of it, too, I'm, and we're both excited uh, for the event either way. Uh, again, July 5th to the 10th uh, this summer, the Global Jam coming to Canada. We appreciate the time, and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. All the best. You bet. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks again. Great, great stuff, Michael. Great stuff, man. Great stuff. You've done a wonderful job leading this thing. Great stuff. There is Michael Bartlett, president and CEO of Canada Basketball. And, and, and hey, Jonesy, I'm, I'm, I'm shilling, but I don't care. We better be a part of that thing in some way, shape, or form because uh, that's something that uh, I want to be involved in uh, and, and working in some capacity come July because uh, it's, it's helping grow the game. And uh, I think that's something, you know, selfishly speaking, that, that we both have done, you even more so than me, for your years in coaching and, and as a player as well. And uh, to see stuff like this finally coming to Canada, it's been a long time coming, yeah. long overdue, and nice to see that it's finally here. And I have no doubt that it will be a big success. All right, E noted. Board meeting tomorrow. Uh, no, what's today? Wednesday. Yeah, board meeting tomorrow at noon. So uh, I'll be sure to to drop a few breadcrumbs down there. <laughs> I mean, you might be you might be pushing a broom at the end of the parade, but I'll have you in there some way or other. Hey, 
I've been in one parade. I can work another one if need be. Uh, when we come back, when we come back, we will uh, hook up with our friends, our colleague Alvin Williams for Alvin Williams Wednesdays on Smith & Jones. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate, review, download, and share as well. Thanks again to Michael Bartlett, president and CEO of Canada Basketball, for joining us. The Toronto Raptors back in Canada for the first time in a while. I mean, I know they were here for a brief stop last week for one game against the Lakers, but eight of their last nine on the road. But now finishing off the season with eight of ten at home, including four straight, starting with that Cavaliers game tomorrow. And we will chat about the Cavaliers and the Raptors and a whole lot more in just a couple of moments when our buddy, our pal, our colleague Alvin Williams joins us for Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Um, Raptors after this game on Thursday against Cleveland will host Indianapolis, the Indiana Pacers, on Saturday, and then a big tilt on Monday against the Boston Celtics. But I mentioned Alvin Williams, and he is on the line right now. Al, always good to talk to you. And, Al, I'm going to hit you right off the bat here with nothing related to the Raptors. Dig back into the archives in your brain from your playing days, whether it be collegiately, professionally, or otherwise. We were chatting earlier about Yusuf Nurkic and the $40,000 fine for the uh, post-game altercation with the fan in Indianapolis and taking the phone out of his hand, and we got into a discussion about just the BS trash-talking and heckling and whatever that some lame-ass fans often do. Do you have a memory or two or anything of, of... a fan that either crossed a line or that was just a complete cheese ball, somebody that did something, said something, and either you wanted to react, you did react, you saw a teammate react. Do you have anything that sort of sticks out for you? Um, you know, most of the times it was in Philadelphia. That's because, you know, I went to school from Philadelphia. I was, I'm from Philadelphia. And playing against AI and those fans, they were, you know, they just, they're rowdy. So that was the most I would, I would get it, like, in a front row and stuff like that. But, you know, it's funny. My dad and my mom were always sitting in the front row for those games. So that was the only time I really – I would get not upset because I, I really didn't hear it that much. But just sometimes you would hear things, especially if AI was going off. Then you start getting rabbit ears. You start hearing everything. But it was – I never really had many, many of those situations or encounters. I mean – I wasn't I wasn't on the fans' radar, you know. Usually the, the top guys and the guys that are that are doing those things. So Vince probably would hear something more, or those guys from veteran, the Oakleys and those guys. But I didn't hear much other, like I said, in Philadelphia. But nothing made me really want to react. I just never, I never, I don't have that temperament. Well, yeah, and and I was going to say, Al, that's you. Like that, your your temperament is such that. You kind of let that go and 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 play the game, but I'm sure you've had teammates that had and and you said the rabbit ears. I mean, when a guy's going off and he's torching people, that kind of talk would be about the game, right? It would be, yep. man, you better get four or five people to guard him, you know, like get get somebody else out there, you know, like just that kind of stuff, which is about the game. Al, to me, it's the personal stuff, um, you know, like. Vernon Maxwell had this reputation for being Mad Max and going up in the stands. Well, when you talk about, you know, you start heckling him about a stillborn child, like that's, I mean, that's that's crossing the line. So I, I guess for me, my question is, 
Have you ever seen guys justified in crossing the line when it wasn't just heckling about the game or plays or it, it became more personal? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you've heard things, but I guess I, I, it, it, when, when you're dealing with the fans, right, and you're dealing with, first of all, there's a few elements. They start drinking sometimes. Sometimes there's um, it's an undertone there. There's a, there's a lot of things there that comes from the fans, and it can be personal. But, you know, luckily I haven't seen anything or heard anything that was so personal to a teammate or to myself where – they wanted you. You wanted to react, or you wanted to wait after the game, or something like that. But you know that that's what it is. And and honestly, just coming from the type of city that you know some of us come from, and the city I came from, you pretty much heard it all. You, you it's been people waiting outside of the game, ready to fight you. It's, it's all those type of things. So, you know, it was it was mild. I think more so now that you get to hear it, and it's people are more exposed. And and I think honestly, and it's not. I'm not discrediting any players and their feelings or anything. But I think the, this generation, people are more sensitive. There, there's things that are said. There's things that are showed on TV or things that, you know, that can't be that can't be done or can't be, you know, exposed. So where before it was a lot of things. We just grew up differently. The language that we that was used against us as kids was different. And that was just the way we were raised were different. So I think it, it's, it's something to that point. But on the on the other hand, when it does get personal, when it does get stuff that's going to strike you and, and is is bigger and is deeper than basketball, that's when you know people are out of line. And 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 the players should all, I always say this: I think players, the NBA should do a better job of really investigating and, and protecting some of the players, and not just handing out fines and figuring out what it is because optically it looks bad for the league. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, you just sort of touched on this a, a little bit in that last answer, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the question anyways because to me you've got the perspective of, as you've acknowledged a couple of times, we all know the reputation the city that you're from has uh, from, from Boone Santa Claus, let alone the players themselves. Um, you're also a coach, not just at the professional level, but currently with young men at the high school level. You're a father, your own father in what he taught you, but also in his profession – as an officer, but then also working for Major League Baseball in security. Like, you got a lot of different angles, different layers of the onion that you could look at this from. Like, what, I don't know, do you think it ever gets cleaned up uh, in terms of how fans act? Or is this just part of, as Jonesy said earlier in the show, some man, some woman buys their ticket and they feel that they're entitled to do or say just about anything they want to. How much is it on the player to simply just turn his or her other cheek and take anything and everything and let it go in one ear and out the other? Like, like, where do we land on this? Where do we stand on this? And how do you, how do you think it changes if it does for future generations? Now, I don't, I don't think it changes from a fan standpoint. I think to what Jonesy said and you guys are saying, they are entitled. They feel like they paid for a ticket and they can say whatever they want to say and you know, people already, and I'm not talking about everyone, but people already have this view about athletes being spoiled. They get paid as part of the job. They need to take it and all those type of things. And they forget about the personal aspect. And we've talked about that on this show a, a lot of times. You know, people forget about the human element. And I think if people, if fans did take a step back and 
thought about what if someone came to their job and just start heckling them and whatever. And of course, it's different circumstances. But I don't think the fans are going to change. I do want, I do believe once again, the NBA could take a stance where they are really investigating and they really are around there and they're protecting the players. You know, it's a game where it's not, it's not a barrier that the fans are right on the floor and, you know, you want the fans and players to interact. And I think that's cool. And I, and I like the approach that, you know, some fans, some, a player can get a fan, you know, checked or possibly taken out the game or thrown out the game. So things are moving forward in that standpoint, but I don't think it's going to change. I think people do things to shock value. They, they get they get their name on things. They get seen. They get recognition. Whether it's two minutes if they make a Russell Westbrook pissed off or something, and that 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 brings enjoyment. Like it just does. So I don't see it changing from a fans' perspective. I think if anything has to happen, it, it has to come from the league and the office and the, and the front offices. Yeah, Al, I want to jump to uh, the stuff that's going on on the court now. Um, Raptors had a pretty good run. I mean, I I call it. It was eight of nine on the road with one game in and out. You know how it is. I call that a nine-game road trip because that Laker game was it was it was basically a, a road game. You just happened to be playing it in your own arena because you were in and then you were out again. But but now they have eight of the last ten at home, and and you've been in a situation like that where you're making a playoff push and you have games at home. And this team hasn't played great at home. And Eric and I have kind of tried to throw our own theories out there. But how important is this stretch right now to get, like, and plus it's the last 10 games going into playoffs. You know you want to be playing well going in. How important is this stretch right now? Yeah, I think it's huge. I think, and you know, without being in the locker room or, you know, hearing the coaches, you know, what the, what the agenda is, if you want to fight for that sixth spot, you know, get in there and you don't have to play in the play-in game. But to your point, you want to be playing well. It's also tricky because, you know, the way the Raptors have been playing and they've been relying on, you know, five or six guys taking a bulk of the minutes, you want to make sure players are going into there with, with the you – won't you never have a fresh body, but you want to, you want to limit those nicks, nicks and bruises as much as you can. So like a Fred or if it's Pascal or if it's – you know, it, it, well, that's pretty much it. But those guys, even Kim Birch with his knee sometimes, right? So I think I think it's very important that you win these games. But it's also just as important you, you stand healthy to a standpoint because I really believe this team, when healthy, and those players are playing at a high level, um, they, they, can, they can give anybody a threat in, in the Eastern Conference. They, I think they can give anybody a threat because of their uniqueness and their style of play. So, and with Nick Nurse, and that coaching staff. So it is very important these next couple of games, these last 10 games, but at home. But, um, but yeah, it, it's different layers to it. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, you're, you're, you're not a player now. You haven't been for a while. I say that respectfully. So you can give me a straight answer. You wouldn't give me a straight answer back when you were a player, I'm sure. When, when, <laughs> whenever a broadcaster or a writer or a member of the media would ask a player, who would you prefer to play, or is there a better matchup? Of course no player is going to, nor should they say, oh, we'd rather play this team. Which team of the top four or five, give me, give me, give me a couple on both sides. Which team or teams would be, at least on paper, in your mind, a potentially better matchup for the Raptors? Which team or teams would you want to avoid if you're Toronto? So I'm not a player. 
because you know as a player you got to say it's whoever. So uh, I, I don't. I'm, I'm Milwaukee seems like the team because of their experience, because of Giannis, because of Drew Holiday, because of Middleton. They have players. They they have Brook Lopez back. I love the pickup with Serge Ibaka. If he, you know, if he can if he can play and you know stay healthy and and provide that that extra player that that traditional lineup if you want to go really big and he can make the outside shots too so i like i like what milwaukee has put together and it seems like they're coming together at the right time um boston the same way i'm not quite sure but they are playing some great basketball but once again toronto's had a lot of success with milwaukee right they've had success playing against milwaukee and what happens is those teams i think need to start thinking about not wanting to play Toronto because of the versatility, because of the uniqueness that I mentioned. That's a tough team. You have multiple players doing multiple things, and now they're playing at a level where everyone's becoming more comfortable and their chemistry looks really good. And then you start looking at someone like Precious Achua, who's, who's, his game is, is he's really taking his game. And I'm not even talking about the made shot. It's more of his decision-making. Right. He's not trying force things. He's not trying to do things that he was doing early on. The young players like to do because they, you know, they're trying to prove themselves. So I think he's become a more mature player right before our eyes. And I truly believe, you know, with the leadership, the experience, and the coaching staff, once again, that any team that the Raptors can beat any team. Now the challenge is it's a seven-game series. So do you have enough across the board for the win of four games out of the seven? But Milwaukee would be the team that, you know, frightens me a bit because of their experience, because of Giannis and the lineup that I mentioned. Al, when you, it's interesting. And, and all that being said, um, Milwaukee's never beaten Toronto in a playoff series. Um, exactly. When, when, I, when, I look at, when I look at where the Raptors are at um, and you want to be healthy, Fred's been – uh, Fred's been fighting it. Let's let's not sugarcoat it. He's been fighting it, and he's been doing his best to play and and you know kind of keep in shape. People would some people say to me, well, "Why does he just take two weeks off?" Well, you can't take two weeks off because it's it, it's the team is missing one of their best players, and then when you come back after that much time, you get your timing back. And the guy that I'm thinking about right now, in that same sense, because Fred is is toughing it out and trying to be in the lineup when he can and playing through the injury. But the guy that I'm thinking about who is really helpful, and they've been basically playing without him since the All-Star break, is OG Ananobi. Like, how long does it take for him to get back and get going and get ramped up to get his timing back and be ready to go for the postseason? I mean, hopefully it doesn't take that long. It depending on how how workouts are going. Maybe if it's three on threes, or he's getting the opportunity to play a bit. But it's tough because you know OG. He to your point, he brings the element of physicality. He brings post up ability. He made you know right now he may be probably the best post up player that the Raptors have. You know when he uses his size and he, he does his bully ball. And he finishes around a basket. He runs the floor early, get deep post-ups sometimes, but he also spaces out. But once again, he is just fitting him back in. And I think once he's in there, and now you're going back to more of, you know, players going to their comfortable roles. And if they can come off the bench doing those same things like a pressure to Chua 
and you know Kim Birch still not Kim yeah Kim Birch and Chris Boucher if those guys can come off the bench and provide that energy those offensive rebounds because you know in the playoffs it's extra possession so if you can provide those 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 type of stats and those type those type of performances I think it really puts Toronto in a good place but OG if he can't get these a few games in five or six games in before the playoffs then you just never know because the playoffs, as you guys know, is a whole different season. It's a whole different season. But OG has performed. He's hit big shots in the playoffs. He's hit game winners in the playoffs. So his confidence is there and his understanding of what it's all about is there. So if he can get back, I think it's going to be really, it's going to be a really big thing. Al, we appreciate the time. As always, we'll see you down at the gym tomorrow night. See you guys. Thanks for having me. There is Alvin Williams. Alvin Williams Wednesdays right here on Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review, download and share as well. Um, Raptors tomorrow night and the Cavaliers, 7.30 down at Scotiabank Arena. A huge ball game for both sides as the Raptors could pull even with Cleveland in the standings with a victory. No doubt a big one, and we'll be talking about it on future shows. All the best, folks. Have a good one.